Chapter Three, Part One, of Ten Days That Shook the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sławek Księżycki. Ten Days That Shook the World, by John Reed. Chapter Three, On the Eve. In the relations of a weak government and the rebellious people, there comes a time when every act of the authorities exasperates the masses, and every refusal to act excites their contempt. The proposal to abandon Petrograd raised a hurricane. Kerensky's public denial that the government had any such intention was met with hoots of derision. Pinned to the wall by the pressure of the revolution, cried Rabotchiput, the government of provisional bourgeois tries to get free by giving out lying assurances that it never thought of fleeing from Petrograd, and that it didn't wish to surrender the capital. In Kharkov, 30,000 coal miners organized, adopting the preamble of the first WW constitution. The working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Dispersed by Cossacks, some were locked out by the mine owners, and the rest declared a general strike. Minister of Commerce and Industry Konovalov appointed his assistant Orlov with plenary powers to settle the trouble. Orlov was hated by the miners, but the Chaika not only supported his appointment, but refused to demand that the Cossacks be recalled from the Don Basin. This was followed by the dispersal of the Soviet at Kaluga. The Bolsheviki, having secured a majority in the Soviet, set free some political prisoners. With the sanction of the government commissar, the municipal Duma called in troops from Minsk and bombarded the Soviet headquarters with artillery. The Bolsheviki yielded, but as they left the building, Cossacks attacked them crying, this is what will do to all the other Bolshevik Soviets, including those of Moscow and Petrograd. This incident sent a wave of panic rage throughout Russia. In Petrograd was ending a regional congress of Soviets of the North, presided over by the Bolshevik Krylenko. By an immense majority it resolved that all power should be assumed by the All-Russian Congress, and concluded by greeting the Bolsheviki in prison, bidding them rejoice, for the hour of their liberation was at hand. At the same time the first All-Russian Conference of Factory Shop Committees, see Appendix 3, Section 1, declared emphatically for the Soviets, and continued significantly. After liberating themselves politically from Sodom, the working class wants to see the democratic regime triumphant in the sphere of its productive activity. This is best expressed by workers' control over industrial production, which naturally arose in the atmosphere of economic decomposition created by the criminal policy of the dominating classes. The Union of Railway Men was demanding the resignation of Liverovsky, Minister of Ways and Communications. In the name of the Chaika, Skubeliev insisted that the Nakas be presented at the Allied Conference and formally protested against the sending of Tereshchenko to Paris, 
Tereschenko offered to resign. General Verkovsky, unable to accomplish his reorganization of the army, only came to cabinet meetings at long intervals. On November the 3rd, Burtsev Obstiadelo came out with great headlines. Citizens, save the fatherland! I have just learned that yesterday, at a meeting of the Commission for National Defense, Minister of War, General Verkovsky, one of the principal persons responsible for the fall of Kornilov, proposed to sign a separate peace, independently of the Allies. That is treason to Russia. Tereschenko declared that the provisional government had not even examined Verkovsky's proposition. You might think, said Tereschenko, that we were in a madhouse. The members of the commission were astounded at the general's words. General Alexeyev wept. No, it's not madness, it's worse. It's direct treason to Russia. Kerensky, Tereschenko and Nekrasov must immediately answer us concerning the words of Verkovsky. Citizens, arise. Russia is being sold. Save her. What Verkovsky really said was that the Allies must be pressed to offer peace because the Russian army could fight no longer. Both in Russia and abroad the sensation was tremendous. Verkovsky was given indefinite leave for, of absence for ill health and left the government. Obstiedzielo was suppressed. Sunday, November the 4th. It was designated as the day of the Petrograd Soviet with immense meetings planned all over the city, ostensibly to raise money for the organization and the press, really to make a demonstration of strength. Suddenly it was announced that on the same day the Cossacks would hold a Kresnihot, procession of the cross, in honor of the icon of 1612, through whose miraculous intervention Napoleon had been driven from Moscow. The atmosphere was electric, a spark might kindle civil war. The Petrograd Soviet issued a manifesto, headed, Brothers Cossacks, you Cossacks are being incited against us, workers and soldiers. This plan of Cain is being put into operation by our common enemies, the oppressors, the privileged classes generals, bankers, landlords, former officials, former servants of the Tsar, we are hated by all grafters, rich men, princes, nobles, generals, including your Cossack generals. They are ready at any moment to destroy the Petrograd Soviet and crush the revolution. On the 4th of November, somebody is organizing a Cossack religious procession. It is a question of the free consciousness of every individual, whether he will or will not take part in this procession. We do not interfere in this matter, nor do we obstruct anybody. However, we warn you, Cossacks, look out and see to it that under the pretexts of a Kresnihot, your Kalendins do not instigate you against workmen, against soldiers. The procession was hastily called off. In the barracks and the working-class quarters of the town, the Bolsheviki were preaching all power to the Soviets, and agents of the dark forces were urging the people to rise and slaughter the Jews, shopkeepers, socialist leaders. On one side, the monarchist press inciting to bloody repression. 
on the other lenin's great voice roaring insurrection we cannot wait any longer even the bourgeois press was uneasy see appendix three section two biryevia Vyadomosti, exchange gazette called the bolshevik propaganda an attack on the most elementary principles of society personal security and the respect for private property graphics appeal of the petrograd soviet to the cossacks to call off the Krestnihod, the religious procession planned for november the fourth our calendar brothers cossacks it begins the petrograd soviet of workers and soldiers deputies addresses you but it was the moderate socialist journals which were the most hostile see appendix three section three the bolsheviki are the most dangerous enemies of the revolution declared delo naroda said the menshevik tien the government ought to defend itself and defend us plekarnov's paper yedinstvo unity see appendix three section four called the attention of the government to the fact that the petrograd workers were being armed and demanded stern measures against the bolsheviki daily the government seemed to become more helpless even the municipal administration broke down the columns of the morning papers were filled with accounts of the most audacious robberies and murders and the criminals were unmolested on the other hand armed workers patrolled the streets at night doing battle with marauders and requisitioning arms wherever they found them on the first of november colonel polkovnikov military commander of petrograd issued a proclamation despite the difficult days through which the country is passing irresponsible appeals to armed demonstrations and massacres are still being spread around petrograd and from day to day robbery and disorder increase this state of things is disorganizing the life of the citizens and hinders the systematic work of the government and the municipal institutions in full consciousness of my responsibility and my duty before my country i command one every military unit in accordance with special instructions and within the territory of its garrison to afford every assistance to the municipality to the commissars and to the militia in the guarding of government institutions two the organization of patrols in cooperation with the district commander and the representatives of the city militia and the taking of measures for the arrest of criminals and deserters three to arrest of all persons entering barracks and inciting to armed demonstrations and massacres and their delivery to the headquarters of the second commander of the city four to suppress any armed demonstration or riot at its start with all armed forces at hand five to afford assistance to the commissars in preventing unwarranted searches in houses and unwarranted arrests six to report immediately all that happens in the district under charge to the staff of the petrograd military district i call upon all army committees and organizations to afford their help to the commanders in fulfillment of the duties with which they are charged
in the council of the republic kerensky declared that the government was fully aware of the bolshevik preparations and had sufficient force to cope with any demonstration see appendix three section five he accused novaya rus and robochi put of both doing the same kind of subversive work but owing to the absolute freedom of the press he added the government is not in a position to combat printed lies footnote this was not quite candid the provisional government had suppressed bolshevik papers before in july and was planning to do so again and footnote declaring that these were two aspects of the same propaganda which had for its object the counter-revolution so ardently desired by the dark forces he went on i am a doomed man it doesn't matter what happens to me and i have the audacity to say that the other enigmatic part is that of the unbelievable provocation created in the city by the bolsheviki on november the second only fifteen delegates to the congress of soviets had arrived next day there were a hundred and the morning after that a hundred and seventy-five of whom one hundred and three were bolsheviki four hundred constituted a quorum and the congress was only three days off i spent a great deal of time at smolny it was no longer easy to get in double rows of sentries guarded the outer gates and once inside the front door there was a long line of people waiting to be let in four at a time to be questioned as to their identity and their business passes were given out and the pass system was changed every few hours for spies continually sneaked through graphic russian pass to read translation follows pass to smolny institute issued by the military revolutionary committee giving me the right of entry at any time translation military revolutionary committee attached to the petrograd soviet of w and s d commandant's office sixteenth november nineteen seventeen number nine hundred fifty five smolny institute pass is given by the present to john reed correspondent of the american socialist press until december the first the right of free entry into smolny institute commandant adjutant one day as i came up to the outer gate i saw trotsky and his wife just ahead of me they were halted by a soldier trotsky searched through his pockets but could find no pass never mind he said finally you know me my name is trotsky you haven't got a pass answered the soldier stubbornly you cannot go in names don't mean anything to me but i am the president of the petrograd soviet well replied the soldier if you are as important a fellow as that you must at least have one little paper trotsky was very patient let me see the commandant he said the soldier hesitated grumbling something about not wanting to disturb the commandant for every devil that come along he beckoned finally to the soldier in command of the guard trotsky explained matters to him my name is trotsky he repeated trotsky the other soldier scratched his head i've heard the name somewhere he said at length i guess it's all right you can go on in comrade in the corridor i met Karahan, 
member of the Bolshevik Central Committee, who explained to me what the new government would be like. A loose organization, sensitive to the popular will, as expressed through the Soviets, allowing local forces full play. At present, the provisional government obstructs the action of the local democratic will, just as the Tsar's government did. The initiative of the new society shall come from below. The form of the government will be modeled on the constitution of the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party. The new Chaika, responsible to frequent meetings of the old Russian Congress of Soviets, will be the parliament. The various ministries will be headed by collegia committees instead of by ministers and will be directly responsible to the Soviets. On October 30th, by appointment, I went up to a small bare room in the attic of Smolny to talk with Trotsky. In the middle of the room he sat on a rough chair at a bare table. Few questions from me were necessary. He talked rapidly and steadily for more than an hour. The substance of his talk, in his own words, I give here. The provisional government is absolutely powerless. The bourgeois is in control, but this control is masked by a fictitious coalition with the Oborontsi parties. Now, during the revolution, one sees revolts of peasants who are tired of waiting for their promised land. And all over the country, in all the toiling classes, the same disgust is evident. This domination by the bourgeois is only possible by means of civil war. The Kornilov method is the only way by which the bourgeois can control, but it is force which the bourgeois lacks. The army is with us. The conciliators and pacifists, socialists, revolutionaries and Mensheviki have lost all authority because the struggle between the peasants and the landlords, between the workers and the employers, between the soldiers and the officers has become more bitter more irreconcilable than ever. Only by the concerted action of the popular mass, only by the victory of proletarian dictatorship can the revolution be achieved and the people saved. The Soviets are the most perfect representatives of the people, perfect in their revolutionary experience, in their ideas and objects, based directly upon the army in the trenches, the workers in the factories, and the peasants in the fields, they are the backbone of the revolution. There has been an attempt to create a power without the Soviets, and only powerlessness has been created. Counter-revolutionary schemes of all sorts are now being hatched in the corridors of the Council of the Russian Republic. The Cadet Party represents the counter-revolution militiant. On the other side, the Soviets represent the cause of the people. Between the two camps, there are no groups of serious importance. It is the Lut Finale. The bourgeois counter-revolution organizes all its forces and waits for the moment to attack us. Our answer will be decisive. We will complete the work scarcely begun in March and advanced during the Cornell of Affair. He went on to speak on the new government's foreign policy. Our first act will be to call for an immediate armistice on all fronts and a conference of peoples to discuss democratic peace terms. 
the quantity of democracy we get in the peace settlement depends on the quantity of revolutionary response there is in europe if we create here a government of the soviets that will be a powerful factor for immediate peace in europe for this government will address itself directly and immediately to all peoples over the hands of their governments proposing an armistice at the moment of the conclusion of peace the pressure of the russian revolution will be in the direction of no annexations no indemnities the right of self-determination of peoples and a federated republic of europe at the end of this war i see europe recreated not by the diplomats but by the proletariat the federated republic of europe the united states of europe that is what must be national autonomy no longer suffices economic evolution demands the abolition of national frontiers if europe is to remain split into national groups then imperialism will recommence its work only a federated republic of europe can give peace to the world he smiled that fine faintly ironical smile of his but without the action of the european masses these ends cannot be realized now now while everybody was waiting for the bolsheviki to appear suddenly on the streets one morning and begin to shoot down people with white colors on the real insurrection took its way quite naturally and openly the provisional government planned to send the petrograd garrison to the front the petrograd garrison numbered about sixty thousand men who had taken a prominent part in the revolution it was they who had turned the tide in the great days of march created the soviets of soldiers deputies and hurled back kornilov from the gates of petrograd now a large part of them were bolsheviki when the provisional government talked of evacuating the city it was the petrograd garrison which answered if you are not capable of defending the capital conclude peace if you cannot conclude peace go away and make room for people's government which can do both it was evident that any attempt at insurrection depended upon the attitude of the petrograd garrison the government's plan was to replace the garrison regiments with dependable troops cossacks death battalions the army committees the moderate socialists and the chaika supported the government a widespread agitation was carried on at the front and in petrograd emphasizing the fact that for eight months the petrograd garrison had been leading an easy life in the barracks of the capital while their exhausted comrades in the trenches starved and died naturally there was some truth in the accusation that the garrison regiments were reluctant to exchange their comparative comfort for the hardships of a winter campaign but there were other reasons why they refused to go the petrograd soviet feared the government's intentions and from the front came hundreds of delegates chosen by the common soldiers crying it is true we need reinforcements but more important we must know that petrograd and the revolution are well guarded do you hold the rear comrades and we will hold the front on october twenty fifth behind closed doors the central committee of the petrograd soviet 
discussed the formation of a special military committee to decide the whole question. The next day a meeting of the soldiers' section of the Petrograd Soviet elected a committee, which immediately proclaimed a boycott of the bourgeois newspapers and condemned the Chaika for opposing the Congress of Soviets. On the 29th, in open session of the Petrograd Soviet, Trotsky proposed that the Soviet formally sanction the Military Revolutionary Committee. We ought, he said, to create our special organization to march to battle and, if necessary, to die. It was decided to send to the front two delegations, one from the Soviet and one from the garrison, to confer with the soldiers' committees and the general staff. At Pskov, the Soviet delegates were met by General Cheremisov, commander of the Northern Front, with the court declaration that he had ordered the Petrograd garrison to the trenches, and that was all. The garrison committee was not allowed to leave Petrograd. A delegation of the soldiers' section of the Petrograd Soviet asked that a representative be admitted to the staff of the Petrograd district refused. The Petrograd Soviet demanded that no orders be issued without the approval of the soldiers' section, refused. The delegates were roughly told, we only recognize the Chaika, we do not recognize you. If you break any laws, we shall arrest you. On the 30th, a meeting of representatives of all the Petrograd regiments passed a resolution. The Petrograd garrison no longer recognizes the provisional government. The Petrograd Soviet is our government. We will obey only the orders of the Petrograd Soviet through the Military Revolutionary Committee. The local military units were ordered to wait for instructions from the soldiers' section of the Petrograd Soviet. Next day, the Chaika summoned its own meeting composed largely of officers, formed a committee to cooperate with the staff, and detailed commissars in all quarters of the city. A great soldier meeting at Smolny on the 3rd resolved. Saluting the creation of the Military Revolutionary Committee, the Petrograd garrison promises it complete support in all its actions to unite more closely the front and the rear in the interests of the revolution. The garrison moreover declares that with the revolutionary proletariat it assures the maintenance of revolutionary order in Petrograd. Every attempt at provocation on the part of the Kornilovsky or the bourgeois will be met with merciless resistance. Now, conscious of its power, the Military Revolutionary Committee peremptorily summoned the Petrograd staff to submit to its control. To all printing plants, it gave orders not to publish any appeals or proclamations without the committee's authorization. Armed commissars visited the Kronversk's arsenal and seized great quantities of arms and ammunition. Halting a shipment of 10,000 bayonets, which was being sent to Novocherkask's headquarters of Kaledin. Suddenly, awake to the danger, the government offered immunity if the committee would disband. Too late. At midnight, November the 5th, Kerensky himself sent Malevsky to offer the Petrograd Soviet representation of the staff. The Military Revolutionary Committee accepted. An hour later, General Manikovsky 
acting minister of war countermanded the offer tuesday morning november the sixth the city was thrown into excitement by the appearance of a placard signed military revolutionary committee attached to the petrograd soviet of workers and soldiers deputies to the population of petrograd citizens counter revolution has raised its criminal head the kornilovsky are mobilizing their forces in order to crush the old russian congress of soviets and break the constituent assembly at the same time the pogromists may attempt to call upon the people of petrograd for trouble and bloodshed the petrograd soviet of workers and soldiers deputies takes upon itself the guarding of revolutionary order in the city against counter-revolutionary program attempts the petrograd garrison will not allow any violence or disorders the population is invited to arrest hooligans and black hundred agitators and take them to the soviet commissars at the nearest barracks at the first attempt of the dark forces to make trouble on the streets of petrograd whether robbery or fighting the criminals will be wiped off the face of the earth citizens we call upon you to maintain complete quiet and self-possession the cause of order and revolution is in strong hands list of regiments where there are commissars of the military revolutionary committee on the third the leaders of the bolsheviki had another historic meetings behind closed doors notified by zalkind i waited in the corridor outside the door and volodarsky as he came out told me what was going on lenin spoke november the sixth will be too early we must have an all-russian basis for the rising and on the sixth all the delegates to the congress will not have arrived on the other hand november the eighth will be too late by that time the congress will be organized and it is difficult for a large organized body of people to take swift decisive action we must act on the seventh the day the congress meets so that we may say to it here is the power what are you going to do with it in a certain upstairs room sat a thin-faced long-haired individual once an officer in the armies of the tsar then revolutionist and exile a certain avsinko called antonov mathematician and chess player he was drawing careful plans for the seizure of the capital on its side the government was preparing inconspicuously certain of the most loyal regiments from widely separated divisions were ordered to petrograd the yunker artillery was drawn into the winter palace patrols of cossacks made their appearance in the streets for the first time since the july days polkovnikov issued order after order threatening to repress all insubordination with the utmost energy kishkin minister of public instruction the worst hated member of the cabinet was appointed special commissar to keep order in petrograd he named as assistants two men no less unpopular rutenberg and palchensky petrograd kronstadt and finland were declared in a state of siege upon which the bourgeois novoyevremia new times remarked ironically why the state of siege the government is no longer a power it has no moral authority and it does not possess the necessary apparatus to use force 
in the most favorable circumstances it can only negotiate with anyone who consents to parley its authority goes no further monday morning the fifth i dropped in at the marinsky palace to see what was happening in the council of the russian republic bitter debate on tereshchenko's foreign policy echoes of the burtsev verkovsky affair all the diplomats present except the italian ambassador who everybody said was prostrated by the castro disaster as i came in the left socialist revolutionary karelin was reading aloud an editorial from the london times which said the remedy for bolshevism is bullets turning to the cadets he cried that's what you think too voices from the right yes 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 i know you think so answered karelin hotly but you haven't the courage to try it then skobeliev looking like a mantani idol with his soft blond beard and wavy yellow hair rather apologetically defending the soviet nakas tereschenko followed assailed from the left by cries of resignation resignation he insisted that the delegates of the government and of the chaika to paris should have a common point of view his own a few words about the restoration of discipline in the army about war to victory tumult and over the stubborn opposition of the truculent left the council of the republic passed to the simple order of the day end of chapter three part one recording by Sławek Księżycki.